I want to introduce one of the people that have been with this organization as a vendor, as a speaker, as a friend, as just someone who we can always count on to put it together for us and make this general session a little more special than just uh, the president up here speaking or giving the treasurer's report or hearing what we want to do here because this person has gone and done motivational speaking throughout Florida and beyond, I would think, and uh, he has done some amazing things in his job. And again, he's been a, a longtime friend and of the FSPM, FSPMA. So please welcome Neil Hazar. Thank you, Mark. And by the way, just for the record, I like the Keanu Reeves, John Wick look. <laughs> I mean, come on, would you mess with this guy, Mark Allen, right? Come on, give him a hand for that. And look at all the money you're saving on Barber's <laughs> It's great to be here with FSPMA family. It's like the last couple years has been a blur. And you guys know that. It's like, are we having it this year? Are we not having it this year? No, no, we're not having it this year. And man, it's great to be back together again, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it good to be out? I don't want another day working from home. I mean, you know, just it is good to be with clients again. Uh, one of the things in, in the bio that I sent in about my background was that I'm a native Floridian, and my dad was an uh, interesting uh, redneck carpenter, Finnish carpenter. I was born in Naples, Florida. And one night, uh, I was about six years old, uh, my dad had a hunt camp out in the Everglades, and uh, he, uh, he brought home a four-foot alligator. And I shared a room with my brother at the time, and when my dad got home, he had been drinking, uh, my dad, not the gator, but um, maybe the gator was, I don't know if he was hanging with my dad, but my dad poked his head into the bedroom and said, boys, you know, we saw him had that kind of, mm, yes, sir. I think I learned how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, before I learned, you know, my own name. I don't know about y'all. Anybody here raised in the South, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. He said, there's an alligator out in the utility room. Leave him alone. Close the door. <laughs> now, my brother was eight years older than me, which put him at about 14. What do you think happened? <laughs> now, listen, with a teenager, you have to almost tell them what you don't want them to do in order to get them to do it. Right? Because if you tell them, don't do it, they're going to do it. You know, so it should be like, yeah, your room is just, I love your room, it's beautiful. They'll clean it, look. So surely my brother snuck out there, opened up that utility room door, and the gator was out of the utility room. So the next few minutes, my dad said, come out here, boys. 
So he had a beer in one hand, a cigarette in the other. Don't know how he did it, but he was able to wrestle the alligator, flip him over, and begin to stroke his underbelly and put him to sleep. So this is how you put the gator to sleep. And he karate chopped him and threw him out the door. I'm not making this up, honestly. So anyway, some unfortunate lady was hanging out laundry the next morning and discovered a real ill-tempered gator, which I would be too if I got karate chopped at night. But have y'all heard of Wally, the emotional support gator? Anyone here? Yeah. This, on the other hand, there's Wally. Now, Wally was adopted by a gentleman uh, named, let's see, let me get this right, Joey Henney, a resident of New Jersey, who adopted Wally when he was about 15 months and took him in. Joey was going through a rough spot with was diagnosed with cancer. He lost several people in his family close to him. Really bad situation and a low point in his life. And Wally came in and he raised this gator and literally the gator will give hugs. I am not, I am not lying. That gator gives hugs. He is registered as an emotional support animal. And Wally takes him over to Philadelphia and walks him in the water park. I don't think I'll let my children play in that water park at the same time the gator is, but actually he's very friendly. You got two different gators here. One is seen more of a challenge that you have to go after, and the other ends up being an emotional support friend. How many of us probably over the last few years felt like we needed an emotional support gator? I know. I think I could be one of those. You know, the pandemic caused a lot of, of major disruption in the American labor forces. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce says more than 47 million workers quit their jobs in 2021. Do you believe that? I do. Anyone been out, out to eat lately? Anyone seen how short-staffed companies are? How they're begging for people to work? I'm like, where have all the people gone? Anywhere you go, there are gaps. You ever, have you flown? Anyone here flown lately? Yeah, it, it's, it's challenging. Challenging to find pilots. Challenging to find flight attendants. We are we're at a very interesting spot. Challenging to find teachers, right? We're at an interesting place right now because when 47 million workers say, I'm done, it has an impact on our culture, doesn't it? It has an impact on our economy. Fewer workers means that what you're doing and what I'm doing is more than what we used to do, right? There's more expected of us because there's fewer people and more work to go around. That's where we can't just work hard. We need to work smart. I read a book last year, and over the pandemic, I read a lot of books, but one of the things that jumped out to me was a book called Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones by James Clear. Highly recommend that. And here's what Mr. Clear says. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. What do you think about that? 
How many of us make New Year's resolutions? You don't have to raise your hand. And I've seen it before when I used to go to the gym. Actually, the last couple of years, I learned how to work out from home, like most of us here in this room. But come January, you couldn't get a machine. You couldn't find a place to work out because everybody made New Year's resolutions. Come February, it began to thin out a little bit, didn't it? Come March, it's all back to normal. Because those New Year's resolutions just sort of frittered away. But we rise to the level of our systems. And one of the systems that James Clear came up with was the 1% rule. And I hope you can walk away with this today and find a way to apply this because it is revolutionary. Basically, the 1% rule is this. It's the simple concept that minimal, consistent improvement every day can ultimately lead to big payoffs. Just 1% better. My wife has a, a practice that she does. She learned from a book she read years ago from a lady called Fly Lady. And that is Shine the Sink. And many of y'all probably already do this. But she won't go to bed at night, or I won't go to bed at night, depending on who cooks. We have a deal. If she cooks, I clean. If I cook, she cleans. Sounds like a partnership, doesn't it? You know, it works and it keeps the peace in the home. But one of the things that's expected is that that sink needs to be shined. The dishes need to be washed and put up and the sink needs to sparkle because you know how good it feels when you wake up in the morning and you see that sink and it sparkles. Bam, brain cooking, dopamine. Oh, that feels good. It's the same way. You know what I'm talking about. When you do a good job and you step back and you look at it and you say, wow. That looks good. There's something about that. Every day, shine that sink. Do we do it all the time? No, there's some nights we miss it. But it's a practice. It's something that happens. There was an example given by James Clear of the British cycling team. Well, Neil, what does that have to do with maintenance in schools? Everything. The team is a team. The British cycling team, they sucked bad. They were terrible. 1905, since 1905, they had not won any medals at the Olympics. No one from the Brit team had ever won the, Fort, the Tour de France, okay? Until they hired this gentleman named David Brailsford. And David Brailsford came on with the 1% rule. Let's deconstruct all of this. Let's break it down, put it on the table. Let's find out what areas can we improve in by just 1% small measures. And here's some of the things that he did. He redesigned the bike seats to make them more comfortable. I don't think he could ever do that, but they'll look uncomfortable to me. He rubbed alcohol on the tires to give them better grips. They uh, asked riders to wear electrically heated overshorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature, and they monitored them. They learned and they continued to search for that 1% that they could improve. They tested different type of deep heat gels to see which one would bring recovery faster. They hired a surgeon to teach the riders how they could practice better hygiene and stay healthy. They looked and they tested pillows and mattresses that led to the best night's sleep for the riders. 
All of these things came together and began to accumulate. Oh, they're just small things. Yeah, but in aggregate, when they come together, there's powerful things that happen when small things come together. And in just five years, five years since Brailsburg took over, the British cycling team went to the Olympics in Beijing in 2008, and they dominated 60% of the medals. 60%. They went from zeros to heroes in five years by looking at 1% of how they could improve. And in that same year, Bradley Wiggins, sounds like a cool name, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. So let me ask you, how can you make your team 1% better? How can you make what you do want just 1% better. If you were 1% better every single day in a year, think about that, you're over 30% better by the end of the year. It accumulates, it grows, but it goes the other way too, because guess what? My wife and I had a situation where we were remodeling our home and noticed some water on the carpet, and the next thing you know, we're having to rip out the vanity, and in the vanity, in the wall, in the copper water feed was a pin hole and it was just spraying water. It was a small thing, right? Small things, small leaks that caused big destruction. It can work one way or the other. The thing is, is that how can we make those things work better? Do small things really matter that much? Yeah, they do. All big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single, tiny decision. So, how can we help develop good habits and get rid of bad ones? Well, habit is a habit, Mark Twain said, and not to be flung out of the window by any man, but coaxed down the stairs one step at a time. Anybody here try to ever stop a habit, a bad habit? Tough, isn't it? There's value to habits, and even the bad ones bring us some type of reward or we wouldn't be doing them. But what James Clue says is that try not to, try not to stop the habit as much as replace the bad habit with something healthier. Why not? That's something that we can do. Every action that we take is a vote for the type of person that we wish to become. Every action. Success is a product of daily habits. It's not the once in a lifetime transformations. Would you agree with that? It's the things that we do every day. It's the hugs and the kisses that we give every day. It's the kind things that we do for people, for each other every day. It's the consistency, the getting up and putting one foot in front of the other every day. Habit stacking. This is something else that Clear talks about. And that is when I get up in the morning and I make the coffee and I fill up the water and I check my dog's dish and I make vitamin C for my wife and myself, you notice we have all these things happening in succession. Anybody have any habits like that? When you get up, it just you're on auto drive, right? You're on cruise control. You probably don't even think about it, but it's happening. 
and it gets done, how could you possibly take something else that's positive and add to that habit? Hmm? How could you use that as an anchor and basically start another habit on top of that? Uh, ben Franklin said, a penny saved is a penny earned. I think 401k is a great example of that. I'm sure many of us sitting here today have a 401k account. It's causing little money, little by little, to grow. And that's an example. It's not winning the lottery. Yeah, they say most people that win the lottery are bankrupt within a year because they don't know how to manage what they have. It's the little by little that we grow. That you realize that one out of six retirees have a million dollars in America. And that's a, a July of this year. Also, there are 406,000 401k millionaires that were registered in May of this year. Did you know that? You may be one of them sitting there right now. Yeah, a million dollars, yes, because it grows little by little by little because little things add up. Proverbs says, he who gathers money little by little causes it to grow. So let me leave you with this. What are some things that we can be 1% better at? What are some bad habits that we need to kick and good habits that we need to adopt? And how can we stack more good actions on top of habits that we're already doing? Last quote from James Clear. Your actions reveal how badly you want something. If you keep saying something is priority, but you never act on it, then you really don't want it. It's time to have an honest conversation with yourself. Your actions reveal your true motivations. Thank you for your time.